So, Sagjeen, a pleasure to have you here. I just wanted to find out more about your own journey and how having a disability has led to your advocacy work. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, firstly. And my journey's like been so up and down because when I first started like having like chronic pain symptoms and things, that's five years ago now, thought that was like my first encounter with being disabled and like having certain barriers with like GPs, my consultant when I, when I got a referral and all those kinds of things. But like last few months discovered that I actually have been living with ADHD my whole life and autism my whole life. So it's a weird one to look back on because like the journey's been like, oh wait, this has been my whole life, but also actually it's been only the last five years. So it's been me. Sitting up and down in that sense. But the way it's led to my work, like being very aware of the specific ways that I am disabled by the society that we live in, it came from the fact like family members weren't really understanding what my condition was. They weren't understanding things like you can't just have turmeric and it being cured or like just it needs a bit paracetamol. Like there's just there were so many misconceptions that they were that they were believing over what I was saying to them. I'm not I can I couldn't pinpoint the specific reason why that was happening. But overall when I started talking to more South Asian people and the same experience, same like condition or different disability, but still within chronic pain and things. And they were saying the same things to me. I realized actually this is actually a bigger issue at play. Looked more into like the background of the culture we live in and just generally how we're treated as South Asian people whether that's because you're a South Asian woman and because you're going to be treated like you're overreacting consistently or even just how you're treated just because you can't go somewhere or you can't eat a specific thing or anything like that it just it's tenfold harder when you've got multiple barriers and you can't actually decipher which one it is but between the two communities, I could realize that actually my South Asian identity was almost stripped from me because of my disability and I got angry. So I started an organization by accident through social media. Yeah, I hope that gives a bit of back. That's, that's, I think that's such an interesting story how you kind of term it that it started by accident, but I'm sure probably everybody else around you and everybody else listening could probably see that that was always the direction that you were going to head in. One of the things that you mentioned was how being South Asian was a very kind of key part to your journey. And I wanted to find out like how does like being a disability advocate in the South Asian community differ from being like a disability advocate in another community, for instance? Yeah, I think it's it's sharing and understanding those complexities of like having multiple identities where you're marginalized. So like one way we've done it in chronically brown work is making sure when we're talking to the wider disabled community, we're talking about race and how that can be further impacted and also just describing how underrepresented black and brown people in the wider dis disabled community. But also 
on the other side, we make sure when we talk to South Asian communities, what is disability? If I say to the, the word to you, disabled, what does that mean to you? And actually trying to figure out where those stereotypes have come from and breaking them down a bit more because this, the, the stigma is there for our community. But on the flip side, we're so underrepresented in the like, wider disabled community that we don't even, non-disabled South Asians don't even connect with that they don't think we can become disabled which is absolutely weird in so many ways because we already know that we're actually more prone to getting type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease and so on and so on so to me that doesn't make doesn't add up it doesn't make sense that that i think that brings me on to something else that yeah. i wanted to discuss one of the things that in my journey of almost unpacking racial biases that exist in the world of healthcare is I come across something, I don't know if it's a UK term or if it's a national thing, but almost like something which is known as like Miss Bibby syndrome or like Miss Bacon syndrome. And yeah. essentially this is where South Asian women are believed to like exaggerate their health complaints despite like having like minimal like science when they present to hospital is this something which is known about in the south asian community and like how how does that change your experience when you do go into a hospital yeah. setting for instance yeah i find that one an interesting one it is a term that was used or somehow came from a medical professional which i think younger generations were catching on and understanding oh okay this is how we're being treated but it was primarily targeted towards older South Asian women. But my viewpoint on it is the fact that so many of our, the way that we act and behaviors is generational. So it's kind of almost become a widespread thing that for South Asian women, we just, we're seen as overreactors. We complain too much. We're complaining about a physical symptom when it's actually a mental, or we're just like pushed aside. And I think. I think this the part that kind of got to me the most is that this this was happening across the board for women just generally and then you've got an additional part if you're a South Asian woman you're almost I want to say doubly but not doubly but more than likely going to be having that kind of reaction and I was consistently getting that so for example I was having I had I think chronic pain symptoms for about three or four months before I was referred and they had to make it urgent because they left it so long. And within those, I was going back and forth to my GP and going, I need some kind of stronger pain relief. And the only reason why I was going back and forth is because every time that I went, they were like, no, you don't need that. You just need some paracetamol. You just need some paracetamol and ibuprofen. Oh, okay, we can give you some naproxen, but on a very low dose. <laughs> and I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the number of times I went back and forth, but I really felt like, oh, wow, I'm really begging for something here. I gaslit myself because they were gaslighting me. Um, and it's a really hard thing to navigate when you don't actually, you're not usually in those medical settings and you don't know that that actually could happen because you think, oh, they're there to protect me. They're there to help me. It's definitely something that South Asians on a whole fully and very deeply believe. <laughs> so that's what I was taught. And that's why I kept 
going with whatever they were saying and I gaslight myself and it's such a sad thing to see and hear on a wider scale that wasn't just for me that was for so many other South Asian women and then these younger generations are also then having to step in for their older female grandparents because they're also not either able to speak English or understand very little English as well which is another part where it just got me like oh okay we now have to protect our elders because we know that they are being discriminated against but they are unaware and they don't know how to navigate it without knowing those specific ways to communicate it there's lots of layers to that (laughs) I feel like it could go on and on but yeah it's it's definitely something that exists it's it's still going on today a lot of these problems are never like just a single problem that exists in isolation Mm. is usually the coupling of loads of different factors i know one thing even just speaking for myself because you hear stories about not being taken seriously i must admit when i've been to the gp or to a hospital sometimes i go in there and over exaggerate just because i've heard stories of like if you don't over exaggerate what could happen with this miss begum syndrome existing Do you think it's kind of a vicious cycle where people, like there is a stereotype that South Asian women exaggerate their symptoms. So because they're aware of this stereotype that exists, they have to exaggerate their symptoms even more just to be heard. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a vicious cycle. Absolutely. That is what is happening. We've we've been forced into that situation and we keep cycling it because we know that that could possibly work. But also we know at the other flip side, it possibly can't work but you've got nothing to lose with trying, which is the sad part. I know one of the things, like when I talk to like other black people, for instance, mm. one of the things they like, I've had loads of conversations about is people mentioning that if we can get more people that look like us in the room when you're attending medical institutions, then a lot of these stereotypes and health inequalities will slowly start to trickle down. And just out of curiosity, I know that, for instance, people from an Asian background, there is a lot more Asian doctors than there are black doctors or like Asian healthcare professionals in the UK. Do you find that having more people from a South Asian background improves those outcomes or do you think those two things are not linked? I feel like I've got such a controversial opinion on this. I'd love to hear it. I'm not sure if it's because I've experienced things also being female and young and unmarried but i've not had a good experience with south asian doctors especially if they're in i guess in like consultant roles they're actually even more dismissive probably because they've got those viewpoints on if you're not married then there's not a man to talk to you so i'm not going to take you seriously because you're probably just overreacting and it's some kind of period pain somewhere which makes no sense so I don't necessarily think it does. I think it depends on that. But so I guess one way I can explain is that there's this one very deep rooting saying that we have in South Asian communities and it's like, what will people say? And that saying came out of the fact so many people are judging each other. We're, we're not connected as a community as, it, as much as it should be or actually seems like. And again, this is just my viewpoint on it, but just it's the only thing I've experienced. But because of that, we don't necessarily look out for each other in those kinds of settings either. 
I don't think I've come across enough South Asian doctors that have gone, oh, you're saying that person's name by their last name. By the way, colleague, can you please make sure you correct that for that patient? I don't see enough of them going to their own patients that are also South Asian and going, by the way, there could be this, this and this complication because actually they don't care. They they just want to get next person, next person. And it's just, yeah, it's it's... I think that's why my opinion is so controversial and because I don't think a lot of people have spoken about it in our community, but there is something a lot larger at play. And I've seen so many South Asians talk about this saying of what will people say and not actually seeing the flip side of the fact that this judgment is creating a disjointed community that is pretending that we're all for each other, but we're actually just judging each other from afar and or judging each other from pretty close angle we know everything about them but yet we don't help or support each other we just go oh that's a shame super 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 interesting because so many conversations especially when we're focusing on the black community so many conversations everyone the answer is almost very simple increase the amount of black medical students increase the amount of black doctors therefore you have more people to advocate for black patients therefore you have less health inequalities but from your answer there, it's almost like there's a lot of things that people haven't considered, such as like, what will people say, like you mentioned? And mm. I had never even considered that part of it as well. And I just always assumed the opposite of what you said. One of the things that I really, really wanted to get into, you mentioned that you founded Chronically Brown by accident. Um, mm. Could you explain what Chronically Brown is, what you do? Um, and yeah, I would just love to hear more about that. Yeah. So what I meant by accident was because I purely made a social media account out of that anger. And it just occurred to me that I had a bigger amount of privilege than some of my other South Asian disabled people that I was coming across because I was able to speak out about it and not have too much backlash from people around me i had some but not to an extent that i thought oh i need to stop because of the danger to myself so i decided to get all their stories and if they couldn't speak and share their story then i would do it for them just to get that conversation started around disability mainly because that is half of the stigma is that we don't even talk about it. we don't even know what it means we we hide from it instead and I wanted to protect but also share as much as I could so that people can actually get a proper viewpoint on what that is like and then from there yeah we, we've we've carried on those stories but we've also got discussion groups we do workshops with South Asian groups talking about disability and then on the flip side we do disability organizations and talk about many intersectionality from a South Asian perspective but on a whole ethnicity and disability and how they can be intertwined on a general scale so we do that but we also have a, a campaign called desi abled which is the two the two names desi which i perceive as being there's no different meanings behind it but i personally believe it is just south asian diaspora and disability so that's just so that other South Asians that are disabled can actually, you know, search that hashtag and find people that look like them. And 
be able to relate to somebody as well. So we've got that. And then finally, we do like engagement things for research, trying to in increase that diversity in health research. And yeah, I think, I think I've finally followed the sketch, but we've got quite a few things going on. It's hopefully just two, two sides is increasing that representation and then also trying to encourage and empower a bit more of that conversation around disability. That, that sounds great. I think one of the things that is very interesting as well is the part that you mentioned about research and having more representation in research. What steps or what strategies are you using to get more people from your community involved with research? So it's interesting you ask this because I feel like we should be sharing more about this, but we often get quite a few people that contact us and send various emails about their research projects going on because they want that diversity. But we actually make sure we have a conversation with them to make sure that their outcomes and their values and just their strategy behind that is actually aligned with our own. So we ensure that, that, that it is like almost, I guess, safe, but also just you can feel rest assured that you don't have to do any of that. And then we work with them to then either share through some of like our in-person kind of, not our events, but we take part in events and we'll share about the research projects that are going on or we'll do it through social media platforms as well. We've got like a Facebook group that we share opportunities with. But the reasoning behind that is to encourage a bit more of South Asians to get involved in something that would actually benefit younger generations or even sow themselves as well that are often not getting prescribed the right medication or misdiagnosed or god knows what else but there, there is so much at play sometimes when it comes to just even getting a diagnosis for symptoms and just understanding those complexities of like why certain conditions are like more prevalent in certain communities so let's say We've got all of these South Asian people who have now committed to being a part of research thanks to the work of Chronically Brown. After that, what do you think needs to change in healthcare policy to, to be better? What do you think needs to change with regards to healthcare policy for us to be better able to accommodate people of colour with disabilities mm. and more specifically South Asian people with disabilities? There's, there's so much that I could probably say, but I guess from my point of view and the expertise that I have, it's always co-production. It's making sure that the people that have experienced those things have been informed and are just aligned with creating those kinds of policies because there's so much that's missed out, even from like what I'm saying as well. Like my South Asian perspective is so different and can be so different from the next South Asian person. So I feel like that diversity needs to be at the right level, not just, you know, picking up on nurses and doctors and expecting them to do and share those experiences or even just the patients themselves as well. People are actually willing to do that for the good of their community and that our expertise in that should be included on that level. And just generally just listening to those, the, the reports that are sent out the research that is there like actually doing something about it because there is so much already out there and it's sometimes I just feel like it's worked on and shelved or it's just taken for the moment because diversity is just a thing we talk about representation is just a word that we just need to make sure it's there and we'll get brownie points for it 
as I, a sign that we're continuously making this like engagement to get like more specifically for us more South Asians in but at the same time I've thought and hear what they're saying around that I've taken part in x y and z and I've done this for so many years and yet I don't see any change yet because that's also another thing that's gonna discourage people but again I'm going on a rant so <laughs> I'm gonna stop that, this is this is the place for the rant. I think <laughs> in the rant, that's where we find out the true gems. And one of those gems is you mentioned that people, it's like obviously we want people to sign up to do research. We want people to get more involved to essentially better our health outcomes. But a lot of the time, the bottleneck further down the line is that I've participated in the research, but nothing's changed 10 years later. So why mm. should I participate? What incentives or initiatives need to be in place so that people can actually see that progress is being made and they're not just being used as guinea pigs and as soon as said researchers got their research paper done like that's the end of it i think the biggest thing that i've noticed is as much as what i said about the fact that we're a very disjointed community we love community at the forefront so to be included with it instead of it seeming like we're doing the researcher a favor would be such a big help and I mean from like the very very beginning to the very end and actually even just oh this is the outcome from what you took part in those kinds of things help it actually makes you feel like you're making a difference instead of you know never hearing from them and going okay I wonder what happened with that I don't know blood sample that I gave because that's actually a big thing for somebody to be taking part in and to that, never know what goes on, then they're never going to take part in another thing again. Because that was a lot of time out of their day. That was a lot of energy, you know, taking time away from work. Anything that they're doing in their day, they, it's, it's just something. But also just reimbursement as well. And I find there's so many studies and research where we go, oh, you can take part in a giveaway. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not ensuring that I actually will win anything. And how do I know that you even have that? You could be saying that to everyone and nobody gets anything. Because again, like at that point, I just distrust you so much that I'm, I'm not even going to take part at all. So those kinds of things are really irritating for somebody that actually wants to take part. I think they need to be considered more in like budgets and whatever else excuses people come with with research. But yeah. And a lot of the time that, that money or that time or the ability to be able to offer that incentive is there but people want change without change and it's yeah. so ironic that a lot of the time people want to do stuff that has works maybe in another community yeah. for so many years and has been working but they think that they can just transfer that to a community where it hasn't worked for so many years and all of a sudden think that people would just get up and go and I always say like one of the things that frustrates me so, so much is when I attend meetings with like a lot of senior leaders and they mention that certain communities are hard to reach. Mm. And I always laugh and ask like, you say that certain communities hard to reach, but where are you going to reach out to these communities? Because I know, for instance, there are certain communities, for instance, in London, if you go and reach out to the South Asian community I don't know, somewhere in central London, you might not be as successful. But if you go to an area like Southall, for instance, or mm -hmm. other areas of South London, 
your results are completely different. And it's just a case of where are you going to reach out to these people? Yeah. On the topic of reaching out to people, if me and you are now sitting here and we're designing this new way that we're going to get loads of South Asian people to be a part of research generally, what is the best way you think that we can reach out to this hard to reach community? <laughs> this is the first thing that came to my head when you said this. Well, firstly, they definitely should be going to those more populated areas with South Asian people, but food, free food and good food. I mean, good food, free food. And you will have everybody flocking your way to go, oh, yeah, just sign up an email. Yep, absolutely. Can I have that now? I want some more stuff. Like, it, it's just, it, it's to, in my head, I'm going, it's so simple. If you spent all your budget on that, they would come running free food free lunch anything that is remotely free even if it's like a pen it's it sounds so really bad now that i've said it out loud but i think food definitely would work i think it's again like these are the things that when i'm sitting in those meetings it's like something that simple free food yeah. and music and all of a sudden all of the people you're trying to reach out to are at your doorstep but it's like this kind of goes back to that thing of like co-production and having the voices mm. of the people who are from those communities could probably tell you for free just put some free food outside <laughs> and like get some music and I don't know what else and all of a sudden like we yeah. won't struggle as much but I think it's yeah I think that is something which is yeah I, I, just, I just find it so interesting how something can be so difficult yet so simple Right. Honestly, when you said it to me, I was like, you know what? I think the 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 room, the biggest rooms that I've seen the most amount of South Asian people in is at a wedding, and that usually consists of music and food. So, I mean, you just have a researcher in there, and you have so many responses. <laughs> I don't know why a wedding came to my head, but yeah, that usually is the place where everyone goes. Oh, it's free. It doesn't matter. It's not that great, is it? But yeah, sure, it's fine. Let's have a dance. So yeah, yeah. Let's go into let's go into that actually. So, I obviously I've only seen like South Asian weddings or Indian weddings from a distance. I've never actually been to one myself. Mm. But is it a common thing for just like strangers or very distant relatives, like your fifth cousin, to turn up at someone's wedding? Yeah, yeah. It's it's common. It's not even that it's pre-planned it's just if you if you receive a wedding invite it's it's for that person and for their immediate family and their extended family and you don't even have to like there's no rsvp there's nothing it's just come like this is where we're having it this is the time and yeah some some people are a bit a bit i don't want to say aggressive but i don't want to say aggressive but entitled that's the word that's the word i'm looking for yeah, yeah. they're a bit entitled with the fact that they do not know bride or groom but because they know somebody that was invited they're expecting a table and food for all of their family and <laughs> it's it it's kind of a bit wild i guess if you if you've never been to one but i don't know i think it's quite fun it does involve a lot of drama most of the time i've seen a lot of drama but yeah they are uh, from somebody that is usually the outsider I, I find them quite funny yeah so I was actually the place that I'm actually going with that question is mm. 
if we know, for instance, by nature, this is something that is very common within that community that you could be like the 10th relative or just a friend of a friend of a friend, and you're still turning up to a wedding and expecting that. Maybe when we are designing campaigns and we are designing future in initiatives, which specifically target that community, we should just be using the same things that people are currently doing. So it's not a, yeah. there's not a massive barrier to access. So if we know by design, Indian weddings are operated like this, I wonder if there mm -hmm. is a world where we can run a research engagement event, which is designed exactly in the same way as a wedding would be in terms of food and guests and whatever. The only difference is there's not actually someone getting married, but everything else remains the same. And I'll exactly. be interested in seeing, like, is there any differential outcomes in that case? It would be interesting, but I do think we probably wouldn't be able to get funding for something like that. I can just imagine yeah. some kind of research funder going, yeah, why do you need that? You don't need that. Sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> why do you need a rental Lamborghini outside? Like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would ever go that far, but you never know. You could put, try and push it, really. So at the moment, are there any projects or campaigns that you're working on with Chronically Brown that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think the one that I'm most proud of is that translation one. And that's, we. it started off fairly small because we've got a very small budget. You know, you've got to start somewhere. But they are written translations around rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and chronic kidney disease. And they're in Punjabi, Hindi, Gujarati, Urdu, Tamil, and Bengali. The reason we chose those conditions and the reason we chose those languages is when we did a survey for disabled South Asians in the UK, we actually asked them, like, what conditions are you primarily seeing in your community and what languages do you speak and write in at home? So we translated them into written form and audio form, and that is to either share with family members, say, this is what my condition is, or to encourage them to go to their GPs as well. And this is where that layers of how people react to certain health conditions can be very different. So for me, I was like constantly back and forth in my GP, but for so many in older generations, they actually avoid going to their GP until the very last moment. And for the most part, they probably could have prevented things for, for certain health conditions. But because they were avoiding seeing their GP, they've actually either worsened the condition or it's gone to a point of no return. So it's to hopefully break down that barrier. This is the translated accurate information around it. And you should really see your GP. And then on our website, we've got a English version of that. So then the health professional can actually see what it is that their patient is reading and just kind of breaking down that what they're understanding around the condition and what the other person understanding and trying to share with their patient but yeah it's one of the projects we started on but we're starting to see a lot more conversation around neurodiversity and dementia in our community in particular so i'm hoping we're gonna expand it further to those conditions that being i think it's going to be very general dementia not specific type of dementia dyslexia autism and adhd but they are very difficult to translate into languages that do not have those words <laughs> uh, so it's going to take some time but it's definitely one of our biggest 
goals, is what I'm going to say. We're, we're going to try and cover as much as we can in as many languages as we can. I think that's an amazing goal. I think it's also on the surface, I think it sounds very simple, but I think deep down, I know how complex that is because if I just look at myself, I'm Zimbabwean myself and mm. talking about mental health in the Zimbabwean community can sometimes be very difficult because there is certain terms that we don't actually have a word in Shona that mm. describes that term. So it ends up being the way we talk about certain conditions is actually really derogatory when you translate it to Shona. Yeah. So that is a massive barrier to even starting the conversation about mental health because we are always starting from a bad place, if that makes sense. Right. And do you find like that, that kind of, even though on a whole, the community is like, and I'm comparing here, so please, please correct me if I'm wrong, but on a whole, the community is like very like connected. But when it comes to certain things that we don't talk about, whether it's mental health, periods, I don't know, sex, for example, any of those things, it then has a knock-on effect with how we're then treated when it comes to actually having mental health conditions and then go into a South Asian GP that then goes, no, that's just normal. That's, that's, it's not anxiety. <laughs> or if we're talking about like period pain, for example, and they go, that's how periods work because they don't know that much about it. And they're trying to avoid that conversation with somebody that they've never had that conversation with before. That's a very long-winded question. But I don't know if you have that same kind of like viewpoint on it or if that actually even is the case. I've never personally experienced that and I don't know anyone who has personally yeah. experienced that. But I think that comes from simply there being just a lack of doctors who are black. So the stuff yeah. that you're saying, like your doctor, your medical professional withholding those stereotypes of your own community. I've never actually experienced that because I have barely experienced going to a doctor from my community in the first place. So yeah. I'd be super, super interested. And that's probably the biggest takeaway that I'm taking away from this conversation is I'd be super interested to see if somebody else that I speak to in a future conversation could almost confirm or deny yeah. if that exists. Because honestly, I didn't even know that was a thing. I just always assumed that if you have people that look like you in a room, they're always going to act in your best interest, not realizing mm -hmm. that actually the, any other walk of life, if you have people that look like you in a room, they're going to know like the niche nitty gritties about the culture. And like, there might mm -hmm. be some stereotypes that they have about, I don't know, like I know in India, there's a caste system, for instance. So That's if you're a doctor and you can country. see that, yeah, if you're yeah. a doctor, mm -hmm. you can see that said person is from a lesser caste than I am, does that make you act in a different way? That, that's something I genuinely never considered. I do think it has a part to play. I've never been able to pinpoint if it is. Like, I've always been aware of the fact that I am in a privileged position where I really reject the caste system. But on a whole, yes, I am generationally from a higher caste. So... I think that's probably best placed with the question with somebody else that has experienced it. But I do, I imagine that is the case because of just outside like medical settings altogether. That is definitely the case. It is, oh, if you're considering getting married to someone, it has to be from the same cast group. Like it, it's, so I can definitely see that being translated into medical settings when you're patient 
that's his doctor, I guess. But yeah, no, it's interesting you say that because I think that's why um, you've put it so nicely as well. Because I've tried to explain why we talk when we talk about intersectionality and like disability and health and how that relates to South Asian perspectives. Why I'm very specific on South Asian perspectives because when it gets intersectional, it differs and it's so much more complex than anyone that's approaching it. And usually it's either white non-disabled people or white disabled people when they're approaching like intersectionality for the first time they they see it as like oh we can just put them all together and it yeah it's complex and that's it but they don't actually understand the the differences that that creates because of caste culture religion and so on and so and gender that there's just so many differences to it and it's just such a good example between that then that I had to point out but I've never been able to explain that to somebody else that's asked me that question besides the fact that I can't talk for anyone but from my own experience that goes back to the diversity having the necessary people around the table being able to yeah. inform all of those things because sometimes the best way to give people a platform is to just give them the microphone instead of trying to speak on their behalf yeah one of the one of the traditions that we have on this podcast is I like to ask all of my guests if they could improve healthcare for their community, how would they improve it? And could you start by defining who your community are? I think I would, well, the community that I would improve for would be disabled South Asians because I want to say I know how it can be improved, but nothing's come into my head if I could do one thing. But I think where it would start was dismantling the stigma around disability in our community. I think that would have a knock-on effect for just how how we're, we approach things in just our like, South Asian community, but also just how we're represented in disability and also then open that conversation around how intersections work and how intersecting identities can be quite, yeah, c- quite complex. Yeah, I I think it's just it's I'd like to eradicate it all, but I think it's it's a slow process, and I think that's the starting block is is that people actually understand what disability is and yeah how to how to live with it. And one of the things, of course, is people understanding what disability is, and I think probably the best way for someone listening to this to get an understanding of disability within the South Asian community would be to connect with yourself and chronically brown where can we find you and what's the best way to get in touch yeah so we're on twitter at chronic brown and instagram facebook at chronically brown i think we're also yeah we're on linkedin as well chronically brown as well amazing well thank you so much Jean. it's been a pleasure speaking to you and i've taken away a lot of value and i think probably my biggest takeaway definitely is it's made me question almost what happens when you have more people that look like you in a space and not necessarily the positive side all the time but also the negative side that can come with that and genuinely that's something that I never considered and it's probably one of the 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 best reasons why I record these conversations thank you so much for having me and actually we're all on a learning journey aren't we so like I think it's absolutely amazing that we can have conversations like this so we can open our eyes. I feel like I'm getting so narrowed down into disability and 
from a South Asian perspective, but actually is so much wider than that. And it gets, it, it's great that we can have platforms like this so we can share this so that other people can learn in that sense as well. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me onto this. No 